It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. One of the things that I'm going to talk about today is a really, um, I, I think the best way to put this, a really troublesome trend that is occurring right now with a form of sexual behavior called stealthing. And if you haven't heard of it, what it actually is, is someone has agreed to have sex. It it occurs, no shock on this, it occurs to women. It does not occur to men. Well, it may. I should take that back. And what it is, is the person agrees to consensual sex when a condom is being used. And I'm going to read you uh, an article that I saw in the New York Post. And it is written by a woman by the name of Lauren uh, Tusegant. And uh, it starts with, the latest bedroom trend doesn't have to do with a certain position or technique, and it's not sexy at all. The disturbing non-consensual trend is called stealthing, and its rise is documented in a report by the Columbia Journal of Gender and Law. And... The lead author on this is Alexandra Brodsky, and she went to Yale, graduated in 2012, and then got a doctorate in jurisprudence in 2016. And this is a woman who knows a little bit about having the uh, sexual uh, assault issues at university because, as she put it, her university did not support her when she brought forward what had happened to her at Yale. And then Yale, of course, published their... absolute crap PR <clears throat> response to it. Anyways, what the lead author, Alexander Brodsky, argues that stealthing is when a man secretly removes his condom in the middle of sex is a form of sexual assault and should be treated as such. And even more troubling is the online community Brodsky undercover, uncovered where men encouraged other men to stealth their partners. Now, These perpetrators, both gay and straight, believe it's a man's right to spread one's seed. Wow. What, you know, what Cro-Magnon man cave did this creep crawl out of? Creepsa. Now, the study opens with Rebecca, a doctoral student who works at a rape crisis hotline. Rebecca noticed she was receiving more and more calls about women being stealth. Rebecca said she had also experienced the same thing with an ex-boyfriend. And she said, their stories often start the same way, Rebecca said. It's like, I'm not sure if this is rape, 
But, and here's the point, they all felt violated but didn't have the vocabulary to figure out what was happening. Now, not only does stealthing leave a victim vulnerable to pregnancy or STIs, it causes the same type of emotional, physical, and financial harm that stems from other more clearly defined violent sex acts. One of the victims that Brodsky interviewed for the report called her act rape-adjacent. And another victim described what happened with her partner as a blatant violation of what we'd agreed to do. Now, Brodsky concludes that since existing laws don't necessarily cover stealthing, a new statute is the best bet for addressing something that too many people experience but don't know how to talk about. And I'm, I'm glad I'm seeing this article. And, you know, this may be something that, you know, someone who's had something like this happen. Now, this is not that, you know, the condom breaks in the middle. This is literally taking it off. Now, I'm trying to figure out, you know, do these guys, you know, pull out, that? well, they must, and then come back in as kind of like a, I'm not sure exactly how they go about doing it, but they are doing it. But she, as she said, she concludes that, you know, a new statute is the best bet for, you know, getting something like this to be addressed. Um, and at its best, such a law would clearly respond to and affirm the harm that victims report by making clear that stealthing doesn't just feel violent, it is. It doesn't just feel violent, it is violent, as Brodsky wrote in her report. And in January, actually, a Swiss court convicted a man of rape after he took off his condom without telling his partner. And here's what the court concluded, that the woman would have had to say, the woman would have said no to sex if she knew the condom would be removed. So here's the point. It was consensual when a condom was being used. It became non-consensual when the condom, when the protection was removed. And that, I think, you know, we've seen all kinds of different types of definitions about sexual permission, say yes, say no. But this, to me, is something that, I mean, this is being done without the partner's approval and without the partner's permission. So for me, that is, this is a, to put it mildly, a troubling trend. And it's, uh, this article was written, as I said, in the Columbia Journal of Gender and Law. And I did go and look at that, and I did check out the uh, court case in, um, that was in Switzerland, the Swiss court that convicted the man of rape for stealthing. Another thing I was going to talk about is the definitions and issues that come forward when people are in flexible, variable uh, relationships, whether they're open, whether they swing, whether there's one partner, whether, there's, whether it's polyamory, meaning there's you know, love and um, sex with another partner. Open typically means that there may be, you know, you can have sex with other partners, but there isn't necessarily the emotional attract, um, attachment. Often there does end up being. And with swinging, it's, it's more of uh, a couple that you will be with occasionally or maybe just once, and it is strictly for the sex. And the reason I bring this up is because 
I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate, but for Mel B., who is dealing with going through a divorce and having the woman who is the nanny being uh, that sort of the third person in the triangle, in the triad, but what has happened is the thing that flipped the switchboard is instead of it being, I mean, the hallmark of an open relationship is negotiation and permission. It's not about doing things secretively. It's not about doing things in a, you know, that in a hidden manner. And that apparently was one of the things that had happened, is that the nanny and her husband, Stephen Belfontaine, were having sex separately without her being involved and creating a separate relationship from what they had initially agreed. So, I mean, the changes to, you know, that, that people end up experiencing going through this, there's, there's plenty of them. But in, when someone is doing things in a secretive or a dishonest manner from what you had agreed to do, chances are there's going to be a problem. And I also uh, at, was looking at Hello! magazine, and the, it was a story of Dan Stevens, who has just starred in Beauty and the Beast, which, if you haven't seen it, get the, to a theater and see it. They have done a fabulous job with this. And the uh, Belle character that um, Emma Watson got behind. She said, I wanted to make her 21st century, and she did. She's terrific. She has, she doesn't, it's interesting, she doesn't change as a character throughout the movie. What does change is the character that Dan Stevens plays, the Beast. Anyway, I digress. There's a new movie that Dan Stevens is in, along with Rebecca Hall, and it's entitled Permission. And in Permission, it is the story of a couple who are about to get engaged and they decide that they want to open up their relationship and see, you know, whether, you know, they really do want to get, go forward with getting married. And one of the things that I thought was a great statement is, you know, as Rebecca Hall said, and she's one of the executive producers on it, and it's being shown right now at the... Um, uh, yeah, I believe it's the Tribeca Film Festival, is that no longer is it the message of, oh, no, monogamy is bad, you know, or, oh, no, non-monogamy is bad. We have so many different ways of how people are in relationships that it truly is about the people who are in it and how they negotiate it. And I say this all the time. No one knows what's going on in a relationship except the two people who are in it, truly. And whether that is someone who is saying, I now identify as being, I have this body, but I identify with this, that's not what your attraction is. That's your identification. And no one knows how people relate in relationships except the two people who are there. And for many people... The thing that makes their relationship the best thing that it possibly can be is their partner makes them laugh. And when someone can make you laugh, trust me, that's a fifth dimensional behavior. 
and everyone should have at least a couple of minutes of laughter every day. Now, we're coming up to the first break. When I come back, I'm going to be talking about Joe Court, who is a colleague of mine, who is a therapist, and he has a great post on Facebook on what he refers to as the things of people talking about gender fluidity. So when I come back, that's what I'll be talking about. Here's the tunes. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. Hello and welcome back to Living the Badge Life. I'm your host, Amanda, star of nothing and author of Nobody Cares. Today, we're talking about boning. You know, the old smash and grab, horizontal handshake, sticking your boot in some bubble gum. Sex, people. When it comes to healthy humping, someone's always compromising. Am I right? That's right. Ugh, pills. Male condoms. But have you heard about the female condom? It's the hormone-free, latex-free, STI, Zika, and baby blocking made to fit your love glove alternative to keeping your pants kitty happy and healthy. She gets it. So the next time you get that lady shoot scoped, ask your doctor about the FC2 female condom. It looks weird, works great, and costs absolutely nothing through most insurance companies. Until next time, happy humping to all, and to all, a good night. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Protein helps build muscle and can prevent overeating because it makes you feel fuller longer. But what about these protein bars? Are they a good choice? The New York Times cautions us to be aware of the sugar content and the calories when choosing a protein bar. Whey and soy are used as a protein source in most bars and taste awful. So the makers of these bars add high fructose corn syrup and other low-calorie sweeteners to make them taste good. The calorie count of these bars can also be high, close to 250 calories. And many have the same amount of calories and protein as a turkey sandwich, which is not good for weight loss. The bottom line? Choose unprocessed snacks like almonds or eggs to eat right after a vigorous workout instead of a protein bar. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. So before the break, I said what I was going to be discussing in this segment would be, <clears throat> excuse me, a video that I saw of a colleague of mine by the name of Joe Court. He's a Ph.D., and that's K-O-R-T. And he is a therapist. His book is entitled 10 Smart Things Gay Men Can Do to Improve Their Lives. And he's completely updated, revised and updated. Anyway, 
what caught my attention is that he was explaining something that is confusing for many people. And people want to know, you know, when someone says that they're gender fluid, what exactly does that mean? And is that the same thing as bisexuality? And is it the same thing if someone identifies as being straight or, you know, whether they're gay or lesbian? What's, what's, the, what's the deal on this? So let's go with, and, and there's another woman who is a colleague. Her name is Dr. Lisa Diamond, and she herself has written a book about sexual fluidity for women, and she actually teaches in Utah at Salt Lake City. And I remember she had this great, <clears throat> Dr. Diamond had this great um, uh, presentation that she had done at one of our, I think it was the Society for Scientific Study of Sexuality, talking about how women respond to particular um, erotica. And they were using adult material, and they were showing, and what they used is a vaginal um, I'm going to massacre this one, plasmograph. And literally that is something that is almost like a tampon inserted into the vagina. And what it measures is the blood flow that comes from being um, sexually aroused. Now, for men, you can you know, see it as a result of an erection. For women, what happens, interestingly enough, is they would say they mentally, through, between their ears, they were not saying you know, saying that they were um, sexually turned on or found a particular images or a particular clip arousing, but their vagina knew differently, and it actually was engorging, and that's what they were measuring. And so what Dr. Diamond said is, you know, sorry, guys, you know, the women got more aroused actually by looking at animals mating than they did at, you know, at, at men standing there nude in front of them. That, that was not the thing that did it for them. Anyway, going back to what Joe Court was talking about, the issue with gender fluidity is that it isn't something that is thought out, and it is not consistent, and, and it can be random. And how Lisa Diamond describes it is as, you know, that is something that, you respond erotically to something that is quite random for you and not expected. And it's, it's situational. So it's, it, it's random. So let's say you are a straight woman and you identify as being straight and all of a sudden you are in a situation and you find yourself looking at another woman and going, oh, my gosh, there's something about her that is turning me on. And it often surprises people. It's kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? And so it isn't thought out. It just occurs. And it's something many times that, so that would be referred to as heteroflexibility. Now, and it could be something that if you identify as being gay or lesbian, and all of a sudden you are in a situation and you find yourself being very attractive, erotically attracted to someone of the other gender. That would be a similar thing. Now, here's what bisexuality is. So, but many times people say, well, that's ridiculous. This is just you know, someone wanting to be able to have access to everything, and they really are. They, they must be bisexual. 
And but bisexuality is where people they know that they are attracted to both genders. And bisexuality is not defined by a particular action. So it's not defined by someone saying, Oh, so you mean that, you know, that that, that one dick that I sucked when I was in college, does that does that make me mean that I'm gay? No. It does not mean that you're gay and it does not mean that you're bisexual. If you have erotic thoughts about, you know, both sexes, that still is not what determines you as being bisexual. So it's not about thoughts. It's not about, you know, so it's not about fantasies or dreams you might have. It's not about actions that that you may have done or thought of doing. What it is about, and this is from the American you know, Institute of Bisexuality, bisexuality is that you identify as being bisexual. Someone else doesn't say you're bisexual. You identify that way. And I will tell you that for many people who are bisexual, if they happen to be in a relationship, they will not talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, they will not talk about, you know, being bisexual. They will at that time have people just, you know, assume that they are heteronormative or they are gay if they are with, you know, a same-sex partner because so many people will challenge them and say, well, you're just, you're not being, you know, honest with yourself or you're not being honest with your partner, but they are. The thing that makes this difficult for many people is because it's like when I talked at the top of the show about stealthing. There isn't a word, there aren't many words to describe this. And, you know, even though sex is the number one thing that runs just about every single ad, movie, TV show, product placement, you know, design, anything, you name it, you know, the size of a car, the, the noise of a car, the majority of everything we do is related to sexuality. Yet we as a society, we are so stunted in our ability to even just talk about this. But the important thing about bisexuality is many times for men who are bisexual, they'll not talk about it. And, but here's the thing. When you know that you are attracted to particular things, you know you're attracted to them. And that's what you find appealing. So if you know that you are attracted to someone who is a certain look or, or a certain type, you already have that downloaded into your brain system versus seeing someone and just it's a, it randomly you go, whoa, I was not expecting that. That's the difference between gender fluidity and bisexuality. Now, there are some people who refer to themselves as being gender fluid who probably are more in the bisexuality camp because they do realize that they're attracted to both. And that that, again, is something that can be situational. It may be that, you know, what was the, the term? They called them lugs, lesbians until graduation. And for many young women, experimentation, when they're away at college, experimentation with a, a, you know, another woman. 
Now, it could be relational. It could be more um, that that's something that, oh, I'd, I'd like to explore that, versus straight men who identify as being straight having sex with other men, but it's not relational. They're just there for the gay sex, whatever that definition is for them. But they identify as straight. So as Joe Court said, you know, even if I never have gay sex again in my life, he said, I would still identify as being gay. And the thing that is confusing for many people is particularly when someone is coming out, and he used this, <clears throat> excuse me, he used this example for himself, that when he was coming out, he didn't really, you know, it, it, it was a process for him, and it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I had too much to drink, or someone seduced me, or someone paid me, or there was something other than it was motivated by yourself. It was something that, you, you, so the decision was not necessarily yours. Yet when someone finally says, you know what, this is just who I am, there's no question about it. They, they're, they're clear. I remember, you know, other women saying, you know, it took me a while to realize, but I, I know that, you know, now I'm clear that I am gay. I know that. And I had, I very much enjoyed the relationships I've had with men, but I, I now know that my number one attraction is to women. So for some people, let me just go back and do this again. It's Joe Court, K-O-R-T. You can find him on Facebook. And this is about gender fluidity versus bisexuality. So the gender fluidity, it's not that out, it's not consistent it tends to be situational. It is situational. So it would be random. It, it's erratic. And you respond, as Dr. Lisa Diamond described, respond erotically to something you would not have expected. And versus bisexuality where they identify as that, they are aware that there's things that, you know, they find attractive in both genders. And it's not that they're confused. It's not that they're trying to, you know, hit on everything, but they have, you know, they have certain types in either gender that they find attractive. They're often in a relationship and won't talk about this, but so they may be attracted, you know, to a partner for X number of years, and then when that relationship ends, they go into a relationship with someone of a different gender. So... When we come back, I'm coming up to the next break, I'm going to be talking about the nine habits of people who are in the healthiest types of relationships because that's the number one thing that people want. They want a happy, healthy relationship. And I'll be back after these tunes. Take care. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. 
This is Living the Vag Life with me. No one's favorite because you have no idea who I am, Amanda. Today, we're going spelunking into that magical cave of wonders that is the vagina. If you're like me, you hear STDs and think, ST, easy there, bud. And surprise babies, maybe, if they came with a gift receipt, am I right? That's why I've been all up in that FC2 female condom. Or should I say, it's been all up in me. Now, I know what you're wondering. Can I still have sex in my favorite positions? A joy. Cowgirl. Reverse cowgirl. And my personal favorite, when you get your in there and you give her the and then you you got a and there you have it. The FC2 female condom. Another way to get freaky without f***ing yourself. And best of all, it costs zero dollars through most insurance companies. For all the juicy deeds, see your doctor or visit fc2.us.com. Until next time, bone on, bonettes. you do if you won the lottery henry ford once said that money doesn't change a person it simply unmasks them the average lottery winner in the u.s buys 4.5 new cars for themselves or friends and family and 10 percent of winners buy more than 10 cars male lotto winners seem to be more willing to share their winnings with others as they will give money to roughly three friends while female winners typically only share the wealth with one 85 percent of winners choose to engage in hugger-mugger and remain anonymous. What's the word for the anticipation of success? Nicodonia. Whatever you want to call it, Mazuma, Spondylix, Deuterumus, money isn't everything, but it sure keeps you in touch with your children. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, I said before the break that, that what I was going to be talking about, and if you have any questions, please just, you know, go to my website, loopadget.com, and send a comment to me. Uh, or you can send it to office at loopadget.com. But I want people, and again, I always answer my own questions. I don't have anyone else answer them from a, you know, a stack of answers, sort of like here's, you know, one size fits all. Because when it comes to our sexuality, one size does not fit all might I add. So I just want to continue a little bit. One of the things that Joe Court also uh, did a video on is why he stopped uh, why he stopped being a sexual addiction counselor. And for anyone who has someone who has out of control sexual behavior, truly two of the best people that I know of uh, in this country and actually you know, worldwide, is a gentleman by the name of Douglas Braun Harvey and his uh, therapy partner, Michael Vigorito. And they have a clinic in uh, San Diego called the Harvey Institute. And what uh, Doug Braun Harvey, he's actually on the leadership council with me at University of Minnesota in the program of human sexuality at the med school there. 
and I will be traveling there next week for our semi-annual meeting. But what Doug has done is that he, I'm just going to give you a description. He has two books, and it's called Treating Out-of-Control Sexual Behavior, Rethinking Sex Addiction. And, you know, out-of-control sexual behavior, which can be referred to as, you know, either sex addiction or sexual compulsivity and hypersexuality, among other terms. I mean, it's been controversial and attention-getting issue since it first captured both the public and professional attention over 30 years ago. And previous, you know, discussions of this behavior have been grounded in uh, pathologizing it, that it's a medical issue on par with substance abuse, addictions, or in backlash is simply irresponsible behavior, you know, that has the, so the person's, you know, very weak-willed, and that's what, you know, that's the reason it's happening. But in keeping, you know, there were many people in the mental health and the sexual health areas to move beyond these two really polarized, you know, conceptualizations of sexual behavior problems. The authors present a model for working with clients in both group or individual treatments. So there is, he has another book that is set up for therapists, and it's based on their experience with hundreds of clients, and it provides comprehensive and practical conceptualization of out-of-control sexual behavior framed as a sexual health problem within a larger model of human behavior, not a psychiatric or addictive disorder, which is truly profound. And one of the things, ASEC, which I'm an ASEC certified sex educator, American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And what ASEC has an actual policy paper that does not support the use of sexual addiction. And what they do is they, it has not been something that has been proven scientifically. It has not been something, and here's the other thing, you cannot bill for treating sex, sexual addiction. It's not in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, so you can't bill for it if you're a therapist. But what this book does is it gives you step-by-step tools, and this may be for someone who's looking at, do I have out-of-control behavior? Well, if it's causing you know, issues in your own life, then chances are it is. I mean, let's say there's someone who they worry that they masturbate seven times a day. Well, how is it impacting your life? And then look at how do you feel when you're doing it and then immediately after. If immediately after you're feeling, oh, my God, I just feel like I feel like I'm just, there's something really wrong with me, then there's something else that chances are needs to be looked at. So, but what um, Doug Brown Harvey and Michael uh, Figueroa did is they based this book, Treating Out-of-Control Sexual Behavior, on working with hundreds of different clients, and they provide a rich and composite case examples, which is based on their 20 years of clinical experience, that demonstrate how, you know, with the sexual health treatment conversations and tools, as well as, you know, and what it does is it gives hope to people and guidance that is really so essential for people wanting to understand how sexual health can be an essential ally in changing their sexual behavior. And what Doug had said to me in one of the times that I had him on my show here is that one of the number one triggers 
for people having out-of-control compulsive sexual behavior is alcohol. No kidding. And uh, Dr. Eli Coleman, who is the seated chair for the First Endowed Chair in Human Sexuality Worldwide, he is also a phenomenal expert in this area of treating out-of-control sexual behavior. And again, he refers to it as compulsivity and impulsivity. And unfortunately, what ends up happening many times is the media grabs something and they slap the term sex addict on it. And it isn't something that truly has any place when it comes to dealing with particular behaviors. What needs to be done is look at what's the behavior and how is, what else can be done here. But again, not, because the, the addiction model is something that does not work even truly for the majority of addicts. It's shaming. It takes them out of their own environment. It puts them in a situation that they are blamed. And that this is something that one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, his name is Gabor Mate. His book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And he is an addictionologist and uh, an MD in Vancouver who was dealing with the people who are some of the you know, most severely addicted people ever. And he literally makes the comment that if we use the, the standard addiction model, it is not going to work for people. It, it doesn't work for them. It basically causes more damage to them. You know, it's like the intervention thing. And there was, I believe it's in Portugal where they have a much better way of dealing with addicts so they get treatment and they're still kept within society. They're not sent off to some place and told, you know, you're a horrible person, what's the matter with you? They get something that enables them to rebuild themselves in while they are, while they are moving through their healing process. So here we go. The nine habits of people in the healthiest relationships. Now, the reason I like this, and this was written by a woman by the name of um, Kelsey Borison, and it happened to be on HuffPost earlier this week. And, you know, it doesn't mean that healthiest relationships are, you know, always effortless and completely conflict-free. No, that's not the case. But here's what I know is that if your relationship is always a struggle, why are you there? Because when relationships work, there is an ease to them. There isn't, you know, you're not worried about stepping on eggshells. You're not worried that this person's going to do a particular thing. There is a, a trust factor that is there that, and I will bet you that also, that I, I haven't gone through all of them here in this one, but the healthiest relationships that I see, they typically surround themselves with other people who are in healthy relationships or who are in relationships that are supportive for them. So one of the first things that um, Borenson refers to is that, and what she did is she did a compilation from a number of different experts, and so she talked to relationship experts to share what people in healthiest relationships do regularly to keep their bond strong. So according to Dr. Samantha Rodman, psychologist and dating coach, her comment is that they complement their partners in front of other people 
And when I wrote my book, 365 Days uh, Sensational Sex, and really what it is was the compilation of what thousands of people shared with me were the best things that kept their relationships together. And they really do. They, they talk in a positive way about one another to kids, friends, and, and even coworkers. And this is the opposite of the undermining behaviors, the passive-aggressive undermining behaviors that you would, you know, often, you know, hear from people who are not happy in their relationships. And to me, I, you know, it's how I hear someone speak to one another. Now, does it mean that that doesn't mean that those people are going to stay together? They might. I have had some things where standing in an airport and hearing this husband scream at the top of his lungs, and this is like 7 o'clock in the morning, what are you doing? I mean, the entire terminal was like this. What in God's name just happened? Now, that's how those two talk to one another. Now, is it healthy? Not likely. So, point one, they compliment their partner in front of other people, even if it's something really simple. Number two is they make time to connect no matter how busy life gets. And for many, you know, it's the day-to-day routine that they have regular times, they connect with one another, whether it's walking the dog, whether it is talking after the kids go to sleep, whether it is praying together, whatever it may be. And this is Dr. Kurt Smith, who is a therapist who specializes in counseling for men. But that's the thing. They make a point of letting the person know. They stay in touch, whether it is a phone call or what it might be on the way home, calling to say, hey, what do you need from the store, anything like that. When we come back, I will continue with seven of the nine habits of people in healthiest relationships. Okay, here come the tunes. I'll be back after this. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the 
secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their loverwort or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce. At the Iowa State Fair, you can enjoy a hot beef sundae. That's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef, covered with gravy, sprinkled with cheddar cheese, and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a sundae. What's another word for messy food? Ma Wella. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back again. So, what I, before the break, I was talking about the nine habits of people in the healthiest relationships. And this is a compilation by Kelsey Borison, and it was happened to be on HuffPost yesterday. And number one is they compliment their partner in front of each other, other people. Um, two, they make time to connect, no matter how busy life gets. And now I'm going to start with number three. They laugh freely and frequently. And this is Dr. Marie Land, who she is saying that my husband and I laugh a lot to the point where it's difficult to be too upset for very long because one of us will usually do something to lighten things up. I mean, topics can and should be serious when needed, but having a sense of humor is a tremendous asset if you want to be in a healthy relationship. And to, I mean, and I say this, laughter is a fifth dimensional behavior. And People who, you know, laugh a lot, they, they don't tend to think things too seriously and can easily, you know, enjoy a healthy relationship. And um, I'll use an example. A couple I know, she was trying to meditate, and he knew she was trying to do that. She was listening to a guided meditation, and then he decides he's going to make breakfast. Well, he does more banging and clashing and, and cracking and stuff than you could even imagine. And, you know, so she was kind of like, what the, are you doing? And this was, so finally she got up and he was saying, what, what? And that at which point she started showing him how noisy it was. Well, that, you know, she was, you know, ticked off at him. But the thing that ended up changing it was, 
it then became something that was actually quite funny. So, the, you know, that fifth dimensional thing of laugh freely and frequently. Number four, uh, they appreciate their partner's positive qualities instead of harping on the negatives. And I will use, uh, I remember my sister-in-law talking about my older brother, and she said, I choose to focus on what he does well rather than what he does badly. Because she said, the one, I'm going to feel good about this, but the other, it will make me, it will make me so kicked. So that's one of the things that you know, this person said. This is Erin Anderson, who's a, um, an MFT, marriage and family therapist. As a marriage counselor, I see couples on my couch who have a lot to complain about when it comes to their marriage. But for the most part, they have the same problem as just about every other couple. The healthiest couples don't focus on complaints. Instead, they look at the good things their spouse does, and they make it a point not to hold back in their expressions of gratitude for each other. And I'm telling you, gratitude is one of the most powerful things you can start your day with. If you listen to anyone, Tony Robbins starts his day with a declaration about what he's grateful for. Um, I try to do the same thing. I am grateful to myself for putting myself into particular situations. It may not, you know, other people may not be grateful for that, but I am. I am grateful that I have, you know, the friends that I do, that I have the relationship that I do. And the other thing about, you know, appreciating the person's positive qualities, let them know. Let them know that because people can't read your mind. Well, some can. But you want to be able to have someone know from your own mouth how they have changed and impacted your life. No one else can tell them except you. So, you know, that's the, you know, if you want someone to know, hey, I, I really like how, you know, I'm pleased with how it is, you know, you're driving and you're not speeding. Um, thank you for making sure that you took care of blah, blah, blah um, earlier this afternoon. Something to let them know that you noticed what they were doing. Here's another point. This is point number five. They practice empathy and regularly put themselves in their partner's shoes. Now, this is Carrie Carl, and this comment is that by doing this, couples are often able to overcome the misunderstanding that commonly occur in all relationships. This conflict management skill helps people in my office feel heard, understood, and valued when their partner can genuinely say, I may not agree with you, but I understand you and can see how it felt that way. For me, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I am an educator. So what I look at is how are people talking to one another, the tone. But I also, if I'm dealing with couples who are dealing with stuff, I see them separately first. Because often what I find is that they will tell me something that they should have been telling their partner. And when I ask them, have you told them that, they often will say, no, they should know. And I'm like, no, you need to let them know in your own words. 
that way that, you know, someone may say, well, I feel rejected when you don't include me when you're going on bike rides. It could be something that simple. And it can be, well, then you know what? Then let's get you a bike and then we can do something together. But many times the thing that has people feel pulled apart is when someone's activities are always away from where they are. And I, I see, it, to me, when I see this happening with couples, it's almost like the clock is going to start ticking, and it is. They're, the time for them to stay together, people will typically stay together for X amount of reason, whether it is children until the children are out. I know of someone right now who, um, hey, as soon as the daughter is married in July, I know that the whole disassembly of something that has, there is no structure there to support the maintaining of that marriage. And there hasn't been for years. So, but, you know, here's the thing. So, but the thing about being empathetic is that you can understand where someone is coming from. So, point number six, they always let their spouse know when they'll be home. And again, I, just, I was just talking about this, that a frequent bone of contention in conflicted relationships is when one partner feels out of the loop or not a priority. And a simple call or text to say that you're on your home from work or, you know, uh, from a girl's night out helps the relationships thrive and makes your partner feel secure. Which, by the way, when you are going out the door and you have a pet, make sure you tell your pet when you're going to be back. And I'm not joking about this. Tell them, you know, if you're going on a trip, say, I will be away for three sleeps and then I will be back. Particularly if you have a rescue animal because they've already been abandoned once if not twice. And this is something that people originally laugh when I tell them this. And I say, but I'm not kidding. It's something that can make people and your animals feel much more secure. Um, so, they are, you know, like it's that thing of like, um, I'm on my way home. Do you want me to stop and pick something up at grocery store? Maybe yes, maybe no. And number seven, they never stop flirting with each other. Now, this is one of those things that flirting is something that tells someone you're attracted to them, that you like them, that you, they're still, they still have that something that you originally liked, and it's something that you are one of the only people who truly has, you know, from a PDA standpoint or from a uh, telling the person or touching the person, you may indeed be one of the only people that can do that. And if you don't take advantage of it, what I tell people, if you're not paying attention to your partner, someone or something else will. And that something else may be at work where they'll get acknowledged. It may be a sport where they're getting acknowledged, whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, hockey, uh, golf, whatever it may be. People need to be acknowledged that they're making a difference in your life. So if you're not paying attention, and your attention, because that's really what flirting is, 
your attention is truly one of your most, absolutely most attractive and most compelling behaviors. Because when you pay attention to someone, it, you become magnetic. And that's one of the things that people have said about, you know, people who are really charismatic, is they make you feel like you are the only person in the room, okay? So they never stop flirting with each other. Okay, here's number eight. They keep their fights clean. So that's no name-calling, no labeling, and no disparaging remarks. It doesn't mean, you know, that you're not going to be, you know, uh, and then someone uses a justification, well, I was just joking. No, 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 no. That's, that's not okay. And number nine, they forgive and move on instead of holding grudges. And many of these things are the things that John Gottman at the Gottman Institute I believe it's in Seattle. And he talks about having seen couples in a home, you know, they're videoed to see what their behavior is. And he can tell, you know, within like a 90% accuracy whether or not they'll still be married, you know, in a year, whatever the period of time is. So today, you know, I hope you've had, you know, the sex in the news, the stealthing, the thing about open relationships with Mel B, that permission is the new movie with Dan Stevens talking about, you know, the variances of what relationships are, Joe Court and talking about gender fluidity versus bisexuality, and then and Doug Brown Harvey and the Harvey Institute on Sexual Compulsion, and then the nine habits of people in the healthiest relationships. So any questions about these or anything else that, you know, because I know sometimes people just shoot an answer, contact me at my website. Have a fabulous rest of the week, and I will visit you next week. Bye for now. for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our soul health. Join Lou Paget. She will